You're listening to the I Love You Keep Going podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.metagroup.org. So welcome, everybody. This is I Love You Keep Going. Uh, it is uh, July 28th, 2022 at 7.37 p.m. Uh, Pacific Daylight Time. And uh, I wanted to talk um, about uh, solutions a little bit uh, in terms of the, the body politic. Uh, it's easy enough to be overwhelmed or complain about uh, the difficulties that we face. Um, I read in the paper uh, a few days ago that the Western monarch population has declined by 99.9% in the last 40 years. And that the North American monarch, uh, the population has declined by 96%. Are we talking about politics or? I'm yeah, confused. we're talking about politics. Uh, monarchs, sorry. <laughs> How do you allow a population of insects to decline by 96% as a nation when, when this is one of our natural resources that we should be preserving, in my opinion? Um, how does the politics allow that degradation of the environment that that something like that could happen. This is all uh, how we organize and spend uh, taxpayer money and how we preserve the resources. But maybe you like butterflies and, and maybe you remember growing up with butterflies. What would it be like if that was no longer the case? Um, the insect population of our whole country uh, has declined by 80%. Um, do you have an understanding of the nature of the, the, the biodiversity that's required to support the habitat in which we live and that if it's not suitable for insects to survive, what does that bode for us? And is not the environment a political issue that uh, the government is supposed to be attending to? Um, I, as a kid, loved uh, monarchs and I loved the migration. And uh, in Chicago, where I lived, they would come through in October. I don't know. Do you remember that as a child, the uh, migration of the monarchs every year? Uh, they would come and then and for one or two nights, everything would be covered with them as they slept before taking off and, and going on. And they fly south to the mountains in central Mexico. And I even went uh, um, up into the mountains uh, to see them. And it's this vast forest and everything is covered with millions of monarch butterflies that are hibernating for the winter before they fly back north. It's one, one of the most spectacular natural experiences. Christian? When I was a kid, I guess 20 years ago, um, the family, we took a trip to Mexico and we drove through northern Mexico and the monarchs were migrating. So like maybe like 1% of that, like 99.9% .9 
is what we splattered on the car window. <laughs> but what you actually are describing is an experience that people are not having as much anymore because there aren't so many insects to splatter on your windshield. Right. But that was a very common occurrence. I grew up in the Midwest and, you know, the, the flatness and the, uh, you'd be driving down the highway and these, these swarms of insects would fly across. And, and yes, not only the windshield, they coat the whole car. Uh, um, when you went into the countryside, there would be this roar of insects at night. One of the things about uh, the bird populations declining by 70% or so is that that's more noticeable to me than the absence of insects. But what this really speaks to is the habitat, the, the habitability of the planet for uh, life in, in, in the range in which we inhabit. In the United States, of course, uh, we had this difficulty of uh, passing a climate bill, um, uh, which has uh, this morning when I woke up been reversed. And now again, the climate bill is on. But if you had looked at the legislation before this morning, it would be $840 billion for the military and $2.3 billion uh, in support of the environment. some in infrastructure in there. This, the, the new bill, it looks a little bit better. So it also said in the paper that the temperature rise from climate change has gone up 1.1 degrees. Uh, at three degrees, Florida will end at Jacksonville because of sea level rise. Is this not uh, politics? Uh, mainly what I like to talk about is that from the side that I tend to be on is this all seems very straightforward. I remember going in 1970 to the first Earth Day march and uh, um, listening to the dialogue around that, which was, of course, the major corporations would not continue to degrade the environment because in the end, it would be catastrophic for them financially. But that hasn't proved to be the case because it's not the long picture that matters so much, but the short picture, the quarter. We have uh, an economic system, which is uh, capitalism, which is evaluated on GDP, gross national uh, product, in a, and we keep needing to increase that, uh, and uh, which means we need to increase the population in order to have more customers uh, to increase that output. So we have these two main uh, um, ways of, of pursuing capitalism. One is through militarization and one is through uh, consumerism on a very small planet. <laughs> with limited resources. This is what how it sits with me. So um, I read in the paper that um, 
alternative energy, the, the early programs in, in the Los Angeles area where they subsidized the installation of, of uh, solar panels on um, single family homes. That first group that they did is now coming to the point where those panels are going to need to be replaced. And uh, it costs about $30 to recycle one, one, each one of the panels. And, um, but once the panel is recycled, the, the raw material that's uh, extracted is worth about $2. So they're not recycling the solar panels, they're putting them in the landfill with everything else. So this is called externalizing of costs. I don't know if you're aware of it, but one of the foundations of profitability in uh, major corporations is called externalizing of costs. They, uh, in the natural life of a solar panel, you would know that it would it has a short lifespan and then it's going to need to be disposed of or recycled in some way. What would you then do with uh, that? So in the externalizing of costs, the cost of managing that part of the process is left to the taxpayers. So it isn't as if you don't have to pay for it. You do have to pay for it. If we had a system where the corporations weren't externalizing costs, then the cost of recycling would be included in the purchase price. It would be part of the cycle. And then the corporations would be tasked with recycling and then having to uh, find a uh, use for the material that was recycled. Uh, if you include it in um, the cost of production, the cost of protecting the environment, then the, the environment would not be degraded. Why do you think that the uh, monarch butterflies are in such Jeopardy. It's because of loss of habitat, but not in the way that uh, you might think. We use, uh, we have developed an agricultural system which in, uses mono, uh, mono uh, agriculture. So we tend to grow uh, one crop and we, uh, genetically modify them so that they're tolerant for herbicides and then we spray herbicides rather than use the cost of labor to weed and the the use of the herbicide is killing the the natural plants that the insects survive on as a byproduct of growing the crops that we need to eat with the idea of course that you can't survive on uh, weeds and insects are unnecessary uh, for the production of food which we then take to market so if we um, destroy the habitability of the planet for other species uh, we also destroy the habitability of the planet for ourselves. Is that all making sense? 
So this is a, a, actually a, a group of people who practice uh, Buddha Dharma, and we have uh, precepts that we are uh, supposed to take uh, in the entry to the path. So at the beginning of the path is this idea that you uh, take these precepts and begin to live in an ethical way as the entry into the path of the Dharma. And uh, the householder precepts, the first one is uh, not to kill, not to take life. Uh, and there is a, a, a debate uh, often in our communities about the personal responsibility that we have uh, and how does that compare to the collective responsibility that um, um, we as a society have that we use the uh, our system of government to um, enact. I don't worry about the planet. I think the planet will be just fine. We may not be here, uh, but the planet is going to simply go on. Christian? George, this might seem like a derail, but but it's not. The, <laughs> the precept to not kill, like, it, does that include, like, you shouldn't kill someone that's trying to kill you, or you shouldn't kill someone that, you know, if you could stop them from killing a group of people? Um, how do you understand it? Well, I guess what I'm getting at is in terms of like, I think of, I think of like a lot of our practices being like how to react to the world and the world that we're in is really unprecedented. Like the, the tools that the tools of Buddhism or the tools of that anyone's developed for anything how much can they speak to, you know, if 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 we're in a car that's crashing, that's careening over a cliff, you know, there's been issue, there's been issues and problems and strife, but if it's something that could kill all of humanity, you know, does Buddhism say you shouldn't have a violent revolution to stop that from happening, or you know, something like that? Um, just you know. Uh... <clears throat> What you would uh, maybe think about is uh, in all of the actions that you take, you uh, take on the karma of the action. Uh, if you decided that you would kill somebody in order to prevent other harm, you're taking on the karma of that. Is that the karma that you can take on and manage? Um, there's a, a Zen story about a monk who kills a, a a robber on a on a boat um, who was uh, about to uh, uh, kill one of the passengers on the boat uh, and the the story is about how the monk thought that the karma of letting it happen uh, was uh, worse than the karma of preventing it from happening but that in either case he was taking on the karma of the action that he took 
he was taking on the karma of inaction if he didn't act as well yeah if he didn't prevent harm he was taking on that karma and if he caused harm to prevent the harm from happening he was taking on karma um but you you talk about violent re revolution and what we do see is governments coming and going uh and systems of uh organizing society coming and going uh, uh are you old enough to remember the ussr and that that system uh which was called uh the second world, which was thought to be a permanent uh, institution, and uh, it collapsed uh, under the weight of the arms race. I think we calculated in the West that we could spend more on the military than they could afford to keep up with us, and that turned out to be true. And then that system of government uh, disappeared remarkably quickly. I don't know if you. Uh, some of you may uh, remember that. Uh, in, in this country, uh, our system of government, which is constitutionally based, has lasted, what, 245 years? It's a really long time for the, the process of systems of government to change. Um, but our, uh, if you want to define the, 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 the great empires, one way to do it would be uh, who holds the reserve currency uh, and uh, we've we've basically been in that position since the end of the second world war before that it was the british pound before the british pound was the gilder the, the dutch currency um, and then that that arc where there's that period of growth you may uh, that fantastic uh, growth that happened following world war ii of course we blew everything up and had to rebuild it so there, there was that advantage but uh, that whole thing uh, and then uh, when there's so much abundance then there's enough abundance to begin to corrupt the government and the process of corrupting the government tends to um, pull the resources up into the, the the upper class at the expense of the poor which is what's happening here. And one of the ways that they do that is by destroying the public education system, which we've done here in this country. Uh, and then the because the inequality is so great between the upper part of the society and the bottom, the social order doesn't hold. And we move into a place where uh, the, the, the system of government needs to change, which is maybe close to where we are in this country, not everywhere, but here. And then we have competitors for the reserve currency, right? <clears throat> what does this have to do with uh, Buddhist meditation? Well, we, we do like to see things the way that they are and to understand that our actions and our involvement have an effect and um, what that effect might be. Also, uh, the way that each of us lives is dependent on the system that we're in and our capacity to be present for it, uh, our capacity to be able to find the time, energy, and resources to practice are also uh, embedded in this. Uh, how participatory uh, do you like to be?
so we could do things um, to preserve the, the system of government we currently have. For instance, we could refund public education and uh, teach uh, children. Um, I was reading the paper and uh, it said that 64% of the population of our country, the United States, reads at a sixth grade level. This is the, the, the collapse of the public education system, which was intentional. Um, we could restore that. We could begin to provide services for families so that children grow up in environments where they're healthy and happy, and then they can move on to be productive uh, members of society. This is the attachment piece, right, that we talk about here. Uh, children provided uh, with the services, uh, the support that they need so that they can thrive. Jake? I just wanted to ask you about that. According to what you've researched, uh, what are the most effective interventions for children and at what age? And what's the relationship to prenatal interventions? I, I was listening to something by Stan Hatkin this morning, and I, I heard him say that uh, at one point under his work with Alan Shore, they were doing a lot of prenatal interventions, and these people are so highly educated. I wonder why, why they would be focusing on that. If you had any insight into that, I just wanted to ask about the, the interventions for children and what, what's, what's been proven and thought to be effective. For well, uh, obviously, the mother needs to be fed and the, the, the bio uh, mother needs to be in a low stress environment so that the development of the fetus is uh, optimal. So then that would mean support for women uh, that that uh, are have conceived. Um, it's interesting because um, you have an 85% chance of inheriting the attachment strategy that your primary caregiver has. But there, there are some programs now where uh, people come in to the household, they assess the uh, attachment conditioning of the the family and then they provide interventions uh, to create a secure structure for children in the family unit uh, and um, i was reading that uh, it takes about 12 of these interventions to actually uh, show an outcome where the children even with insecure parents are uh, developing secure attachment and so hey, that at what age range are they doing that? Uh, you know, young children under the age of uh, kindergarten. So um, now here's the thing. We're spending the money anyway. If you don't intervene on, on behalf of the mother, if you don't intervene on behalf of the child, if you don't have an educational system that produces uh, some kind of care, then you have people who end up in prison or in other kinds of circumstances that don't actually contribute to the overall support of uh, our system. In New York State, 
uh, a medium security prison uh, per inmate is about $145,000. In uh, California, it's a little bit better. It's around $55,000 per year per inmate in a medium security facility. We spend $6,800 per year, uh, K through 12, to educate our children. Which would you rather? I would rather spend, the average sentence in California is nine years. So the average uh, failure of supporting a mother and a child, supporting a child uh, in infancy, supporting to, failing to educate the child is about $450,000. You want to monetize everything. Which would you rather spend the money on? Prison? or supporting uh, families. This becomes the political divide. Um, our educational system is funded mainly through property taxes, which means that people who live in affluent neighborhoods uh, have better schools than people who live in poor neighborhoods. The easy fix for this is simply to move the funding of schools to uh, a federal level where the funding follows the student. Um, it's unremarkable that in, in most Western democracies, that's the system. It's very different here. Um, with most of these things, uh, the, there's an abundance of, of solutions which seem quite good. And um, um, but then there's the the, the failure of the, the dialogue between people to uh, uh, engage in solutions. So that's really mainly what I'm interested in talking about here is uh, the is the habitability of the planet worth 2.3 million billion i mean and the military worth eight eight hundred and forty how does that make sense but it does make sense um that we need to have a way of making sense of the two sides and engaging in some kind of dialogue that's meaningful that we can come into a solution because I would bet that both sides want uh, uh, children to be taken care of. Uh, so. Again, this, this uh, conversation around how does one have a dialogue? How can you use your practice as a way of in supporting um, your ability to be open enough to engage uh, when the polarization makes it impossible. 
George, what what level of dialogues are we talking about just in our personal lives with people that were close to us? Or how do we begin to engage this discussion in a way that's applicable? What do you envision? Well, we have interactions in, in a number of different ways. We have one-on-one, -on -one, we have small groups, we have larger groups, and we have the, the, the whole of it. Um, So it's the important thing that we be moving into having discussions and enacting change like in our close relationships and then building networks of close relationships where we're enacting the changes we want to see. And is that the thing that we're aiming at? That seems uh, good, <clears throat> a good approach. Um, I would push into the idea of authenticity um, or um, maybe truthfulness is a, another way to express that. We don't have a system in our country anymore where you, you need to be truthful. We did have a system where you needed to be truthful, but uh, we changed the, the, the regulations for public media to uh, where that was no longer uh, required. But it isn't universal that other systems, Canada, for instance, requires that for in the news be truthful. And that if they uh, report something that turns out not to be true, that they report that they, they reported something that was not true. This is also true uh, in most of Western Europe with the exception of Great Britain. we could change that and require that uh, at the media level uh, presentations be uh, truthful. That never seems to come up though. Uh, there's great complaints about all of the misinformation and how it's persuading people and you know the 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 terrible destructive nature of conspiracy theories, but we don't require uh, the people reporting all of that stuff to be truthful. This is a distortion, I think, of free speech. What I think um, maybe uh, the description here is with all of this stuff that's happening uh, being in the middle of a pandemic uh have you noticed that they keep saying in, in the newspaper at least around here that uh we're on the verge of having another masks mandate but everyone's so fed up with the pandemic that they would prefer to catch covid which isn't going to be so bad maybe um, rather than be inconvenienced uh, and wearing a mask this is all oriented toward the inconvenience of the person and their experience wearing the mask. Of course, the older you are, the more severe COVID tends to be to the point of fatality. So that if you're young and the chances are low that you're gonna die from COVID um, and you would have to wear a mask so you don't inconveniently kill an old person by spreading COVID, it's too much to ask. 
Um, but, you know, we all um, create the experience of the world that we create. We all have our conceptual reality that we live in, 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 in based on our conditioning. Um, really, the point is, how do you stay engaged in this dialogue when it, it is so difficult to hold the experience of it? Uh, and so that's really where I think practice comes in. That you can uh, see into these essential natures of not self, so you don't have to take it all so personally. You can uh, uh, undertake this idea of uh, an ethical stance in the world and really sort of move toward that uh, position in the dialogue that you have, not only with like-minded people there was a, a new yorker cartoon which said and now we will send meta to all like-minded people <laughs> um You know, it isn't so different than the thing that we always do, which is, this is my experience that I'm having. What experience are you having? This is the conceptual reality that I've made. What is the conceptual reality that you've made? And when you are listening to somebody create the experience of the world, that's so radically different than the way that you create the experience of the world. Can you hear it without... Uh, locking into the, the self-experience and locking into the need to defend everything, uh, your version, uh, and move toward this place of really, uh, when we say uh, all sentient beings uh, taking us all in and working toward that. I don't think that... Um, Anybody really wants three degrees of climate change and Florida end at Jacksonville. Um, but then some actions are going to lead to that and other actions aren't going to lead to that. And, and how do we make a, a, a dialogue out of that so that everybody uh, uh, has the benefit of uh, of a, a safe environment where we can uh, grow our, I don't have children, but uh, as a society, children can grow and thrive. Jake? Well, I mean, it just feels so like, okay, should we just agree, like, let's stop the ocean and global, and global warming and just by our agreeing that it's bad. Like, it's just so overwhelming movements of the whole universe and globe you know like yeah i i no, i can agree with you that i don't want florida to go underwater but <laughs> it just kind of feels like what is that <laughs> what can you do so that's what i'm saying uh how do you come into the experience of overwhelm uh make it equanimous enough that you can still act in a way that would be ethical in the world. 
So, so is that the real takeaway from the conversation is about the capacity to hold differing experiences than our own in a way that's really ethical? Is that right. the takeaway? Okay. That's what I'm suggesting. So really, in some sense, it's this ethical stance and then to see uh, clearly the nature of advocating an ethical stance, I guess, or advocating non-harming. But George, if you were going to choose just one state, wouldn't Florida be a pretty natural one to get with? <laughs> I thought, oh, everybody here can't wait for Miralago to be underwater. <laughs> no, no way. I, I, I enjoy those Florida Man YouTube clips way too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, I live in California. We have no water. Uh, we're not having water anytime soon, so it'll be an interesting adjustment to uh, that. Um, when I moved to Los Angeles, to give you an example of uh, how we are uh, and how we like to make things, um, I like to know the names of things. I grew up with my mother and my grandmother, and, and they were uh, avid gardeners, and they all everything they talked about in terms of plants was in the Latin name. I tend to prefer the colloquial name. Um, but one of the things that created a sense of security in the world was knowing what everything was. This is a, a yew tree. This is an oak tree. This is a chestnut tree. I, I was in Europe this summer in England and I loved ch chestnut trees when I was a kid because of the shape of them and the big leaves and the, the, the finger-like patterns of the spread of the leaves. And there aren't any uh, uh, in this country so much anymore because they've all been killed by a blight. But when I was walking in the woods uh, in, in Bath, uh, and, I, and when I was walking in the woods at, in uh, the Netherlands, they had chestnut trees. It was just a remarkable, uh, experience, uh, which um, in the on the house in the house I grew up in across the street they had this huge old chestnut tree and in the fall you know the horse chestnuts we don't eat um, but they create these big pods that break open and then there's these very sort of almost mahogany looking uh, chestnuts inside. We've been very poor stewards of the natural world. And that for me is a, a sorrow. But some people don't notice that. Have you noticed that the insects are gone? Have you noticed that the, the birds are gone? Did you love, did you have the experience of them before? Um, this year, I like to feed the birds, and this year, uh, goldfinches uh, 
were at the feeder, they've, they've not been here before. And so one of the, the benefits of COVID has been a, a, a restriction of activity. And so the bird populations have uh, rebounded in a way, which is lovely. In Los Angeles during COVID, when, they, when the traffic all shut down for about five months, we had the best air quality in the country. That was because nobody was driving their car, which means that uh, that air pollution is not a requirement. This is all about how we organize uh, society. And again, the externalization of costs. Uh, they have bullet trains in Europe. It was so fantastic to not have to fly somewhere to just get on the train and go, I like that better. Um, that's a, an agreement in the society of how to do things, which we, can, we don't seem to be able to do here in the US. So resilience, I guess, is maybe what I should call this uh, conversation. How can you uh, make yourself resilient so that you can stay engaged in these conversations even when uh, they're so difficult? Um, Jake. Sorry to keep chatting, but I just take the opportunity to enjoy the conversation. But it seems like sometimes what's really upsetting is when we want other people to change for us mm -hmm. because we're we're sorrowful. Like we're sorrowful that the the plants are dying, the animals are dying, and we want others to do something to change that. But maybe it's like a trailhead for us to do something very joyful that would actually contribute to embettering the situation. Like maybe instead of trying to get some corporation to stop polluting, like maybe we could start planting trees. Maybe that could be part of what Meta Group is shifting to. Maybe we could actually do something to have like tree planting activity together, like a reforestation mm -hmm. activity. And that would be really joyful. And I, ju I just wanted to put that out there because uh, it's something I've been thinking about. Good. Um, let's do some practice. What do you think? How about uh, meta for all sentient beings? <laughs> all right. Here we go. Go ahead and take your uh, meta meditation posture. Everybody good? <laughs> Thank you for coming. Um, we have, um, we're in the middle of a level one class if you're interested in the attachment stuff. Uh, I, I think it's the following Saturday, not this one, but the one after we're doing the third level. And then two weeks after that, we'll do the the uh, day long around uh, relational, relational collaborative relationship skills. In September, we're going to start another level two class. Uh, 
in October, we have uh, a, an in-person retreat at Seven Circles in uh, Badger, California. So far, the fires have not uh, consumed it. <laughs> but if you're interested in that, it's an eight-day retreat. Uh, yeah, eight days, seven nights um, in Badger. Um, we're going to start uh, um, uh, our, our first uh, level one series um, for European Central Time. So that's going to start in November. Uh, if you're a night owl, uh, uh, Pacific time, it will be 1 a.m. until uh... <laughs> But we are going to then do a level two uh, in Central European time, which would be around 9 a.m. Um, uh, Pacific time. So if, if the daytime is better than the evening for or afternoon for classes, that that might be a possibility. Um, we're trying to put together uh, uh, a trip to Asia in February, so I'll keep you posted about that as well. Um, it'll either be Thailand or Vietnam. Thank you for coming. Uh, I offer the teaching on a Donna basis. Donna is a poly word for generosity. So um, if you go to our website, there's a link for a donation. Any amount is appreciated. It helps support me and also the work that Metagroup is doing. Really appreciate your practice. Uh, uh, thank you for coming, and we'll see you soon. I hope. Bye.